Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender-based assumptions or pink bandana moments at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I sit down with Jory Desjardins. She is one of the co-founders of BlogHer, which was acquired by She Knows Media, and Jory has become very involved in advising female founders on their journeys. In this conversation, you'll hear about scale, growth, funding, investments, and some of the challenges that female founders encounter along the way. What you won't hear about in this episode is the sexual harassment and other discrimination that female founders face as they pursue investment opportunities from venture capitalists and others, particularly in Silicon Valley. This is a huge issue that's being addressed by a lot of different voices, and we don't tackle it not because it's not important, but because it is being discussed in a lot of different places, and a lot of good discussions are coming out of that. This episode touches on some other challenges and opportunities that female founders encounter along the way. I think you'll enjoy it, and the challenge that Jory ends with is a very important one that applies to all of us in all of our workplaces. So I hope you listen all the way to the end. And now, here's Jory. Welcome to Unraveling Pink. Today, I am here with Jory Desjardins. Welcome, Jory. Hi, Annie. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, what I do is very different from what I did 10 years ago, but it all kind of falls into place. About 10 years ago, I co-founded a company called BlogHer, which became a pioneer in the space. Some call it an influencer marketing company. We built it to be a media company that was focused on individual content creators, who at the time were bloggers, but evolved into so many other areas. Facebook, Twitter, Instagrammers, pinners, you name it. <laughs> Any kind of content creator we wanted, and who was a digital content creator. And as the space started to develop, we, we kind of expanded that mission. Um, we sold the company in 2014 at the end of the year. Yes, thank you. I can't believe it's been almost three years. And I stayed at the new company for a while. Uh, Sheena's Media was the acquirer and we joined forces. And I left last year to really explore new things. It had occurred to me it had been 11 years of hardcore company building and, you know, selling companies isn't for sissies. It was hard, (laughs) but it it was not in any way, I mean, it was also the most invigorating work I've ever had and to be honest, I, I was ready for a new adventure. I just felt like, okay, that was cool. Let me take a little breath and see what I want to do next. So I left early last year and started working with startups and found this passion, um, almost a niche, if you will, for the female founder. Um, I work with men and I, uh, I admire the companies that are established by men and women, but I found that I, I really, I had a place in my heart for the female founder because I was that person 10 years ago who never intended to take a, a dollar of venture investment and realized that I had a, a bigger vision and had no idea what I was doing, um, but just wanted to build something. So that became a, a big focus for me is working with female founders on how to make that happen. So some might say, well, why don't we just say founder? Why do we say female founder? Is there a difference? Hmm. Um, that's a really good question. And I think that there is. I. It's funny because I had two co-founders at BlogHer. 
who um, amazing. We all came from from different areas, but had certain similarities. And while we were all very focused on the mission of furthering women in media, we had different takes on mm-hmm. what it meant to be a female founder. And your question, if you had asked my co-founder, Elisa Camelhart Page, she would have been very annoyed by that. She's like, there is no such thing as a female or a male founder. You're a founder, period. We're the same. <laughs> but I always felt very strongly that there was a big difference. And sometime in the in the course of our company, we established an event for female founders because we developed the largest event for bloggers. And so many of them were taking their platforms to a new level and starting companies. And we created an event for them. And I had this sort of personal come to Jesus that, oh my God, there's actually real value here in focusing on women in startups. And it feels almost like a cliche now because there is so much talk in Silicon Valley of the female founder Uh and so many orgs for the female founder, but they don't really address some of the fundamental, some do, but some do not address some of the fundamental differences I saw as a female founder building a company and um, that aren't that apparent. So what are some of those differences that you've seen? Well, I would say that this isn't the case across the board. And I've certainly met founders who from the get-go were all about scale, um, were, um, most of them are tech savvy. It's not that many of, you know, some, I think that there's a, a bit of a, of a perception that women are just not, we're just not into tech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the few of us that are would never start companies. Um, some of us are not into tech and we'll start companies anyway. But I do think that we have a different perception of scale. And while we may have a desire to change the world, we approach it very differently than men. And I, just to give you some tangible examples, I, I think back to when I was about seven years into Blog Her, and I didn't really know what we were gonna do with the company, but I had some ideas that of course we would be exiting at some point mm-hmm. because we had venture dollars in us. And I was talking to a male friend who was a banker who said, my God, when are you gonna exit? And I, and I said, well, we haven't done it yet, but I'm sure you know at some point we'll figure it out. We just wanna be at a place where we feel, and he's like, gosh, you know, if you were a guy, you would have been done by now. And that's not, I, I don't mean to insinuate that men won't try to build their company. I think what he was saying is, you're a perfectionist. And I think women have this idea that we need to be so above and beyond mm-hmm. um, in terms of traffic, size, scale, perfection of the product before we can feel that we're done or that we're ready to move on and do something, do something else. And I think it's a strength because we're really looking for sustained, real growth. But sometimes we, we give ourselves a bad rap. And so many times I've talked to women who had funding, who had an audience, who had a product, but felt that they weren't ready to go out and get another round, or wouldn't wouldn't even go and get a round unless they were further along. And then I would meet with a male founder who doesn't matter, like you fake it till you make it. And there right. just wasn't that pressure that they put on themselves. So I often, for me, it's about empowering some of these um, founders to go and, and do it anyway, is my phrase to them, just do it anyway. So the the perfection idea, I think, is a really interesting one. Do you think that that is because women 
wouldn't even ask someone, for example, to um, acquire their company until it's in a nice box and perfect so that they can set someone else up for success? Or do you think it's just a an internal, I have to make it perfect type of thing? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I, I think that if it, I'll speak for myself. It was this feeling of never being ready. I'm mm. always in process. I'm always on my on, mm-hmm. on the way to so, being legit. So like it's never a finished product. I think that there's a bit of imposter syndrome there. You know, I I never actually fully embraced that I was a an entrepreneur until well into. I mean, I'm in my C round and going, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this. This is. Uh, Why would you not see yourself as an entrepreneur? Ah. Uh, because my intention when we first started the company was to do big things, but also to learn. And I felt like I was learning as I went. And of course, that is almost the definition of being an entrepreneur and getting comfortable with that. But I also think it's a bit of, a, of the female condition where, let's face it, we do have to be a little bit better and farther along. And I always felt that um, I had to exceed just being good at it or just mm-hmm. getting it done. Mm-hmm. We had to be better than that. I started to embrace it, but it took a while. So do you think that female founders shoot for something less than a unicorn so that they can achieve that perfection or get to that point where they feel like they are an entrepreneur? I think that, um, I don't think that women shoot smaller. I, I think that in order to be in that place where you are a unicorn, you, there's a lot of suspension of, of belief. belief. <laughs> and you can't, like, you've got to realize, like, I'm never going to do this on my own. I'm, I'm, I don't have what it takes, but I'm going to have to figure this out and act and walk the walk mm-hmm. or walk the talk. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, <laughs> you have to... Um, like I think of my, I've put myself in Travis Kalanick's shoes because he's such an interesting example. There is a certain arrogance that is almost a, a given. And I, I'd love to see it play out in women. What would it look like? Because I feel that we are just by nature less arrogant. We're a little more realistic. I've tried to put myself in the shoes of someone who has scaled to that extent. And there are very few women who have scaled to that extent. That's not to say that there aren't some great companies started by women. Um, there are, so you know, I'll, I'll put myself in their shoes and they're just not as, as scaled. I think that our, our first priority is not to become a unicorn. It's mm-hmm. to make as many of a core audience happy or satisfied or pleased with the product. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think we're much more product oriented and solution oriented. And sometimes that desire makes it tougher to grow for the mm-hmm. sake of growing. I, I had to learn, I, I was telling a founder the other day, I said, you know what? I know you're so concerned about everyone being happy with the product. Just get audience, get audience, get audience, get audience. Because there's a point, and this is so lost on, on a lot of women, that I mean, you can't get to the next round, which will help you improve your product and will help you fund that growth if you don't have the users. So 
it's a fine line. Obviously, you won't get more users if they hate the product, but you can't be so focused on the product at the outset that you don't think about growth. It's just mm. learning another language, right? Mm. It, and sometimes we don't come to that language so easily. Yeah. You used a word that is kind of a gender trigger word for me, which mm. is pleased. Like, like women are often seen as pleasers. Like we uh, want the people around us to be happy. Yeah. And you used it in the context of wanting customers or users to be happy which seems like a really good thing. And I'm wondering if that approach is almost an advantage, at least at the, at the uh, launch level and finding product fit with your customers, is that tendency to want people to be happy, does that actually give female founders maybe an advantage at that stage, the early stages? It does uh, at the early stage. I think it, it's a problem later. And, and I'll give you an example of something that just occurred to me. Thinking about BloggHer, we started this event. BloggHer was born out of an event. Then it grew and grew and grew to about 100 million monthly unique visitors. So a pretty scaled, yeah. you had to keep a lot of content creators happy in order to amass their audience and, and for them to want to stay in, in the network. And we had about 20 some odd thousand content creators that were part of the network. When we first got started, we took 35 mom bloggers and, and ran experiments with, with them. Um, we put ads on their site. We tried different ways of connecting them to brands. And then we, we saw that that worked really well. And then we did 150. There were a thousand that were waiting to get in before we got our first round of, of funding. And so the funding was, was not just about growing. It was about being able to bring in more bloggers hmm. and as we started to grow, at first, this was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. If you're a blogger and you are passionate about this, you're making money, you're getting credit, you're getting people recognizing what you're doing, and we were very proud of that. And then after mm, Series A, Series B, you start to get some of the not-so-happy people, hmm. like the people who say, huh, she's making a lot more money than I am. What's going on with that? Blogger doesn't care about this kind of blogger. Blogger doesn't do this. Blogger doesn't do that. And I remember agonizing about that with my co-founders because we felt that we were so earnest in our intentions of serving this community. Mm -hmm. It was an equal system where you were paid based on your traffic, but mm. some advertisers wanted and requested this blogger be in this campaign. And yeah. that was gonna mean money and growth for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And we had to realize that that it's not all fair and equal. And, and that was in many ways fair. I think that that was mm -hmm. fair. And we had probably overshot that whole thing about pleasing everybody in our, in our core constituency. And that was a big lesson for me. Now I kind of, I kind of think about, well, who do we need to please? And if someone's not pleased, can I, can I live with that? And yes, mm -hmm. I mean, we kind of learned that somewhere in the middle of our growth. Yeah, it sounds like an important lesson. It was, it was. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the funding side of things. Is that different in your perspective for female founders? Well, there's a lot of talk about that. 
um, and now I think that there's been a lot more attention paid to, I mean, some literal situations. I mean, it's not just, gee, was I discriminated against? It was, yes, here's a situation where someone said to me this, right? Mm -hmm. Or that women were pressured into doing things um, because of funding. So that, of course, is is a situation. And I'm just going to put that to the side because yeah. I think that that isn't obvious and that is something we're, we're increasingly aware of. Um, but I also think that there is a less obvious form of discrimination, perhaps, and I think bias uh, with women. And a good example would be, I, I'm currently working with a female founder, older woman, I think she's in her 60s at this point, nice. never ran a media company, but knows her stuff. Um, has created programming before, has sold programming, smart. I mean, immediately showed me the investor she wanted to reach and I'm like, wow, she's done her homework, she knows what she wants. And she told me she had been working with uh, an advisor, a male advisor, who was supportive but said, look, I, I can't represent you. I'm gonna have to be the CEO here because you'll never get funding. Forget about it. Why not? Too old two female. So she said to me like, well, what do you think? Was he right? And I said, wow, you know, I mean, he was trying to be quote unquote realistic. And, um, I said, you know what? It's not even about that. It's that you haven't started a digital company before. And that's just a matter of getting that expertise on board, but you're the vision mm -hmm. and being clear about that. So I do think that there are some areas where it is very brazenly happening. Also, I think, and this was my own situation, we were in a very good place because we were very public. People came to us wanting to give us funding and we had to sift through what, what did we want. Hmm. However, I think our bias as women who were fundraising was around uh, not asking for too much. You said too much, not not, not asking for, no, not asking for, I remember we used to brag about being so lean mm -hmm. and there's something to be said for that because there were some folks in our space who were getting hundreds of millions of dollars, one in particular, and everything fell apart and it was all a house of cards. And I think that um, there's some discipline that you have from, from being lean and just getting, taking what you need. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we undermined our ability to try new things, to um, develop, to build teams, to market. We, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because of that. Um, so while we were lean, I would, I often say to women, always ask for a little more than you think you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go 20% more. Yeah. Just, just do it because you'll figure it out. You'll get it. You'll need it. It'll, it'll just happen. Yeah. Things tend to cost more than you expect, or you run into problems or opportunities that you right. want to explore. Right. I remember early days when we were talking to a female investor who said, well, what are you guys going to pay yourselves when you get your funding? Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh yeah, we won't, not a lot. Don't worry. And she said, uh, well, I am worried because if you don't pay yourselves enough, you're not gonna do what you need to do to get this company off the ground. Mm -hmm. It's the number one issue, she told us, that female founders have, is that they, they don't 
ask for enough sometimes, mm -hmm. right? They don't even ask um, to pay themselves. Yeah, right. And so we were very cognizant of that. And I, I was glad I got that advice early. But even with that advice, I would have asked for more because I think there were areas that we discovered later we wanted to go into that would have been only beneficial for the company, but we had been so um, careful. That made me think of just women generally uh, being careful with other people's money. Yes, yes, yes. And does that limit female founders when they take funding? Do they feel like they have to do things differently or more more conservatively, which can be good, good and bad. Right, um, right. It can be more fiscally conservative, which can be good for the company. But if you're not pursuing opportunities that might result in growth and scale because you are afraid to put somebody's money at risk, like how does that play out? You basically described exactly what I think is, is the situation. I think that investors feel like, wow, I can trust this founder. I think if that is the inherent bias in favor of women is that mm. you can trust us with money. <laughs> um, I know very few women. In fact, sometimes I'm a little bit envious of those who are just like, yeah, I got the money. I'm spending it. I'm like, really? That's so great. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. However, I do think that investors with some experience with female founders also are, are a bit turned off by by that because that means that they might be too careful. Mm -hmm. They have to be willing to, to take some risks with that, with the money. And as my friend, the same one who said, what, you haven't sold yet or you haven't taken any money off the table yet? What's wrong with you? As he said to me, you need to create some momentum. You mm -hmm. need to start, you know, even mm -hmm. if you think it's all smoke, you need to, you need to show. And that yeah. is just a fact of life. Right? It's not just because male male investors might see you differently. I think it's people need to show that you you're you're walking the talk a little bit, uh, and, and that was always something that I had a problem with. Like, hey, I don't want to say it unless I'm doing it, and, and then after a while, that also comes off as not being confident, and it goes yeah. into exactly. The, it says just the thing you don't want to say. Yeah, it seems like a bad spiral. Yeah. Of of traits that women often uh, either don't naturally come by or intentionally don't want to have, like bragging or saying that you're you're ready for something when you're only 60% ready for something. Like those, those right. factors that come into play just in our careers generally seem amplified when you are trying to, to promote your company. And especially if you're not 100% ready or 100% uh, there yet, like getting over those psychological barriers or natural tendencies must be really, really hard. It's such a sad, fine line because there's actual research against this of women who are in pitch meetings who are too confident will, will negatively affect the decisions of, of the venture capitalists and yet, if they're not confident enough, they won't believe that they can pull it off. So be confident, but not too confident, and we're not going to tell be you perfect. where that line be is. Be perfectly, <laughs> perfectly humble, and yet confident. This is this is the craziness that we've had to to endure for a long time, and and that's why I have really felt strongly about working with women because it's such a nuanced, 
hard to understand. I don't even fully understand it all the time. I've just had, I've just been in situations. So I, I feel like we gotta, we gotta help each other out. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you see better bridging uh, female entrepreneurs and funding entities, whether VCs or otherwise? Like what, what tips would you give either to the entrepreneurs or to the investors of how to better approach funding female founded companies? Well, one of the things that really made a difference for us is because we didn't know we wanted venture funding at first, this it was actually almost an accident that we did this, but then I later realized that it, it really helped us when we did decide to go raise capital, is have numbers. And it doesn't have to be money or revenue, although in our case it was. We were already making money. We weren't cash flow positive by any stretch, but we were already making money so that the argument was, hey, just add water. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't quite that simple, but but it did help to raise the confidence of these folks. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing that women can do, it's create results. So what? think of your result. Is it that you want to have 50,000 beta testers before you go there? And think about the numbers that will make the most sense for you. But what, what I often um, tell female founders to not do is that they, especially in the early stage, it's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You can get away with that once you've already done it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have a reputation and folks know that you follow up but or you follow through with what you're going to do. But if you're just starting out, you have to have something to show for it. And that makes a big difference, whether it's numbers, et cetera. I'm, I'm actually just mentored a really fantastic founder, first time female founder, who has already been selling product and is already, uh, I believe she's got, she's doing a female community platform. There's, I think, 150,000 people who have already oh, wow. been on that platform. I know, I was like, how'd you pull that off? But she did. Um, and she did this while she was still working and now she's fully immersed into this pro into this project um, which we believe will be a huge success but she walked her talk and was able to to bring that to an investor which is really huge that's i mean right. if you have any track record to show off i think that's how you bridge that gap hmm. what other advice would you have for female founders on bridging the gap to investors so this is going to come off as a little strangely. I, I will not out and out say lie. I don't mean that at all. In fact, <laughs> if you lie about your numbers or if you lie, you will be found out. But I think that women tend to pull back because they're trying to be very honest. And, and it's not about lying. It's about omitting all of the terrible truths. So don't confess all the bad stuff. Well, so I'll, so here's a good example. I held an event, my gosh, it was almost a year ago for 250 female founders. I did it with a, a dear friend of mine who was also in the space and working with founders. And it was 250, I should clarify, founders, investors, and advisors. Mm. And the idea here was rather than make it a big pitch day, these founders would sit with these investors who may or may not take a, a second meeting, but mm -hmm. just get a sense of what would it take? Because mm -hmm. so many of these women were in an earlier stage 
and I had uh, one of one of my friends who's an investor um, kindly sat all day with wow. women and in one-on-one sessions uh-huh. because of course he actually he was hoping to do deals sure. I mean this wasn't like oh gee I'm gonna do this as you know just out of charity no no but but he kindly agreed to do it all day and afterwards he said to me I have to confess I think that the, the female founders were much further along in their progress than than many male founders at similar stages but they're so honest which is refreshing mm-hmm. but if they were to speak to other people i know that another investor would be like oh yeah yeah she's not she's not cutting it mm-hmm. and i asked him for details and he said well they would say well i'm challenged with this this keeps me up at night and it's one thing to be asked that and to answer it honestly right. but it's another thing to be to present that up front and he said, but don't get me wrong, a male founder would probably um, blow smoke, and I know that there's some mistruth in, in that, but I think that they don't have to be quite that honest um, mm. because really it's worse to them than it is to, to me yeah. as an investor. So we sometimes amplify what's going wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, if one thing that amazed me when I met with my investors is even in the worst of times, they're like, okay, you know, we've seen this, we've done it, we get it. Um, It's part of what's expected. So Mm. treat it like it's what is expected. It's part of the everyday craziness of building a company. Yeah. Wow. So not yeah. focusing on the negatives or not volunteering things you don't need to volunteer, but focusing right. really on the value you bring and answer the questions that you get honestly without oversharing, perhaps. Right. And, <laughs> and don't answer them like it's a total negative. Yeah. Well, great. So do you have a challenge for our listeners? And it could be on the funding side. It could be on the founding side. It could be anything, but something that would improve gender equality in the workplaces or in the funding environments? One thing that that I think really spoiled me, Blogger was about 95% female. We loved we loved our men, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but we just naturally, uh, we were very appealing to females who were in the blogging space who then said, I want a job, I want to yeah. work with you. Yeah. So that I think was really interesting. We never had these issues of, uh, you know, when you hear about, oh, the women are never never heard in meetings. Mm. It really wasn't until I was out of that situation where I saw that, oh, wow, that woman has not gotten a word in edgewise. What would be useful for anybody? And I think women kind of fall into that role because when you're in a largely male environment, you learn to speak up and over because you're trying to get heard or you don't speak up at all. I think it would be an interesting exercise to just listen and to solicit people's opinions and even if they have nothing to say or are not offering it up just say and such and such what do you think about that Mm -hmm. i think that even if that person has nothing to say you are creating an environment where they will speak up when they do Mm -hmm. and just creating that that space for people is important i love that so you're sitting in a meeting and you 
you first of all have to be aware of who's actually contributing to that meeting and who mm -hmm. has been quiet. But then without putting someone on the spot or calling them out as not contributing, encourage them if they have something to share that before we wrapped up, wrap up, is there anything, Jory, that you'd like to share or Sharon or Tom, anything else that we haven't talked about? Like just making it a safe way for people to contribute. Yeah. And I will say that as an introvert, that has added benefits to those introverts in the conference room because often they won't speak up. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a great challenge. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As usual, please share on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever your favorite platform might be. And if you're so inclined, rate us or review us on the various player platforms, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, etc. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana.